Welcome to Conversations in Equine Science. My name is Kate Acton and I'm joined by Nancy McLean and this is the podcast where we take equine research and try and make it accessible to horse owners and enthusiasts alike. Remember that with each topic we discuss it's important to get professional advice before implementing any of the strategies. This week, Nancy and I are looking at a paper that's titled Straight from the Horse's Mouth, Understanding Professional Event Riders' Mental Preparation for Maximizing Self-Confidence Prior to Competition Using Thematic Analysis. And this is by S. McGinn, D. Alcock and L.J. Cameron. And we ended up choosing this paper, Nancy found this paper, because we had a couple of listeners request that we go a little bit further into how um, you can work as a rider with that anxiety before competing. So this paper says that high self-confidence or your sport confidence has been defined as a key physiological character required by elite athletes and this promotes optimal performance and helps to manage that competitive anxiety. Investigations have demonstrated that a mix of psychological interventions such as self-talk, goal setting, imagery, pre-performance routines and relaxation techniques are used by elite athletes to cope with this stress before um, eventing or before showing or before any performance. To date, most of the research has been carried out on collegiate athletes across varieties of sports but there has been limited research on equestrian sports. And this study in particular uses semi-structured interviews. They explored five professional event riders' experiences of psychological interventions. And they did this in the lead up to and during elite level international competition. So there's a couple of different um, areas. They've outlined this paper really nicely and broken it down. And they discuss the actual use of a couple of those um, psychological interventions I mentioned, like the self-talk imagery and how that can play a role. Uh, So Nancy and I will go through each of those sections. But the findings from this study support previous research, suggesting that these riders have similar approaches to other non-equestrian athletes in their use of coping strategies to manage competition anxiety and to build self-confidence in general. So I think that's what was really enjoyable about this paper. The topics that we're going to talk about are useful irregardless of whether you're an elite athlete or not. And it's also across categories. So it just works for general people. Yeah, I thought it was really a good point this paper makes that, um, Equestrians are just a little different than other sporting events or athletes. It's because they also depend on the horse for success and performance. So I think part of your psychological health is to realize um, you can't always control the horse. Things happen. And I think part of your self-talk has to be that no matter what happens, you're both going to learn from this and Mm -hmm. going to move 
forward with it. I think a lot of times the we get too negative and um, we're, we end up losing patience with the horses. So I thought that was so key. Not only are we managing our own emotion, but we're managing the horses as well because uh, they quoted a research paper um, that it was Keeling et al. 2009, where horses detect changes in sympathetic and parasympathetic systems in humans before humans even know it's happening. So um, they react to the heart rate of the rider or handler, and they can even differentiate between a high heart rate that's due to physical exertion versus anxiety. And don't forget the, the episode we did early, early in the podcast, and that was on uh, smelling fear in human sweat. So the horse is so cued in to what we are thinking and doing in our mindset that that's also a big difference in the performance. And, you know, when you're an ice skater, it's all you and how you respond. Well, when you're paired with another animal like a horse, um, it, it depends on the uh, emotional health of yourself and what you communicate to your horse unconsciously. I think that was a really great point, Nancy, about how you have to go in and just try and do your best and not get frustrated. Mm -hmm. Because I think particularly, well, and maybe it's just my experience, particularly in equine, I think it's really easy to have your confidence knocked. And um, like through either failure to perform a skill or to clear a jump, or even, you know, when you have just that, you might be riding for years, but that freak accident, the horse moves a different way and you fall off. And I think we're kind of told, you know, the get back on the horse thing where it's like, just brush it off and keep going. Um, but I think this paper outlines some nice techniques that you can actually use to build that confidence back up. Because I think a lot of the time, I remember having um, like catastrophic <laughs> competitions where it was just, I hated competing. My horse knew I hated competing, therefore did not compete well either. But when you feel like that pressure after knocking a pole or refusing a jump, that sits with you. And then the next time you are, even if you're just, you know, in the ring on your own practicing or training, I think you feel like a bit of an imposter for a while. It can be quite hard to build your confidence back up. And this paper says as well, they found that sport-specific or self-confidence is developed using the athlete's past performances and experiences. And they define master athletes as those who have developed sport confidence through mastering or improving skills. And I just thought that would be such a great thing to be able to teach novice and young horse riders from the beginning of them joining up to pony club or getting involved in inventing or whatever it might be how to kind of pick yourself back up again and give yourself that confidence that you can do it I think that's a great point Kate and I I just really enjoyed the interview of the writer who talked about how 
him or her. It was three women, two men in the study. And uh, they said, oh, positive is better. They're really going to work on being more positive. Mm -hmm. They said they motivated themselves by saying, come on, you know better. You got to do better next time. (laughs) (laughs) We always do that. We're always like uh, sometimes, and like the one person said, um, say sit up straight versus stop slouching. So our choice of words that go through our mind makes a difference. So keep it positive if you can. Now, they did say negative can be motivating, but they encouraged more positiveness because that helps your self-confidence. I think speaking to yourself kindly is a skill and it's something that it can be very difficult for some people and it can take a while to develop. But um, one thing that I heard a really great therapist, um, she's actually, she's got a podcast called the Vet Glow Podcast. So I really recommend that. But she had mentioned whether you talk to yourself in the eye or in the third person when you're encouraging yourself or telling yourself you can do something. So whether, you know, you're like, I can do it, I can do it. Or whether you're like, come on, Kate, you've got this. And sometimes I think it's easier to talk to yourself like a friend would talk to you and do that third person and be like, come on, like, Kate, you've got this just one more or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And try and motivate yourself that way. Um, and also just keeping in your head, like talking to yourself the way you would encourage a friend as well. Like you wouldn't be harsh or be negative with them when they're trying their best. Yeah. And and I think it was important when they said that self-confidence and anxiety can still result in good performance but if you have anxiety and you have zero self-confidence that's always a recipe for poor performance so you have to build yourself up and um, that leads to making goals and even if that goal setting is just one tiny step at a time. At least you'll feel that sense of accomplishment and that sense of accomplishment actually builds your confidence. Mm -hmm. Having little successes. But I suppose maybe too, a big part of it is recognizing those little wins. And so when you're setting those goals, you know, don't, don't aim too high to begin with. Or you can aim as high as, you know, you want, but break it down further. If your eventual goal is, you know, to win a competition at a national level or win a competition at an international level, break it right back down to what you're going to do this week or what you're going to do this day. And then as you achieve the little things, it's going to help build it. Yeah, I think those elite athletes, they were like in the top 15 eventers, Uh, for the British um, eventing team. So one thing that this paper said that they did was make short-term goals, medium goals, and then their long-term goals. Because didn't they say, Kate, sometimes these horses are paired with them for like Mm -hmm. four or five years. So their goals sometimes have to be from tomorrow. For that horse as well. And each horse is different. So their goal setting might be for this coming weekend, but then long-term goal may be years down the road. So I thought that was um, good that they 
recognize that, that you can make short, medium and long term goals and we should do the same. Yeah. And I like how one of um, the positive self-talk examples that one of the risers gave was that they used to say to themselves, just relax. You write amazing, like just relax, trying to remind themselves. But they were saying it's a really powerful thing to be able to say to self, yourself, you are a good writer. Because I think it's really hard to acknowledge that because we're constantly like, oh, but I could be better. I could improve. Um, and I just love that they acknowledge that, that, that like there's power in being able to tell yourself you're good at it as well. And I think too, too often we compare ourselves mm-hmm. to other people and we have got to take our horse, ourselves, and not be competing with anything or anyone except our performance the time before try to better it. And if you keep yeah. on that path, I think number one, you'll be happier. You won't be thinking you're terrible and your horse is terrible and you'll be progressing. I think when we get stuck and we're not progressing and sometimes that happens when we're comparing ourselves to others. Yeah, I think that's so true. And then um, the Are you done with goal setting, Kate? Yeah, I was going to say visualization is our next one, isn't it? Yeah, and I I love that one because I love the writer that used a video cam or a GoPro or something to make a video of the course or the arena, and then he watched it repeatedly so he could visualize going clear or having a good run, and even in dressage, doing the test according, you know, to how they wanted the outcome to be. So I thought, oh, my God, we have access to so much video these days. That is a great (laughs) idea. I immediately thought of this must be the thousand time that we've mentioned the coach's eye on this. (laughs) It is where you're recording what you're doing. It's so useful. In so many aspects, like any kind of physical skill you're trying to pick up to record yourself doing it is really useful. But I love as well, one of the writers says, when they visualize the cross country, they're looking through their own eyes. And that made me think like, how would I have visualized? I mean, I never competed at a, a high level, but how would I have visualized the course? And I would have always kind of pictured, pictured it from like a distance view or not quite an aerial view, but you know, in my mind, I'm like, okay, those jumps are along on the left, those are over there, they're down by the right. I never would have thought about it yeah. as I'm on the horse approaching the jumps. And I think when we were younger, we were taught how to walk courses. So when we were doing um, show jumping, how to walk the courses, but we were never really clued in how to visualize what we were doing we were just counting strides between jumps and coming up with a plan but we weren't picturing how we were going to ride that or how we were really going to effectively I suppose embody that plan it was just this plan in our head then we get on the horse okay I'm going to do this here this here this here but it just feels so disconnected after reading this paper yeah I agree and you know you see a lot of um four-star, five-star eventers that do video 
the cross country walk. And I bet they do that so they can go back and visualize a good run um, and, and become familiar with it um, as best as they can. And then they did interview those three flat race jockeys and I'd never heard this term before, but it's kinesthetic imagery. And that's a valuable tool to help with confidence. And it's basically the jockeys just going through the motion during a race. So they have their competition or their program, who they're riding against, what they want to have happen. And then they're on that trainer horse that's usually in a jock's room and they just visualize how the race may pan out and they ride that race. And I thought, Oh, we could do that in competitions as Mm -hmm. well. And a lot of people do have those trainer horses that are mechanical type horses, but you can just sit on a tack trunk with a pair of reins in your hand and, and visualize what you're going to do when you go out there. And the fact that that seems to help um, even jockeys at that high rate of speed, it's got to be able to help us with our dressage scores. And they did say that dressage is the make or break competition in eventing. If you can do a good dressage score um, at the end, it's usually the person that, has kind of conquered the dressage arena or that dressage test that usually ends up winning it maybe by a small margin but that's the uh what would you call it i guess the event or the um oh um the phase that is the of eventing that seems to be the most difficult. And I think it's because it's, it's ridden with anxiety and it's hard. It's very mm-hmm. difficult. So, um, but anyway, um, I, love- I think though that really ties back to what you said earlier, Nancy, because the mind is such a powerful thing. And you were mentioning, you know, how the horses pick up on those signals before we do. Mm-hmm. And I think if you're not envisioning you, getting to the end of the race are you competing you know this part of the dressage competition if you're not confident you're going to achieve it or do it then your mind holds you back and the horse feels the hesitation and i did not clarify that sympathetic system controls your fight or flight response so that's when your heart rate's probably going to be um at a hundred you know at a hundred percent like in the paper we did that kind of led to people wanting us to cover anxiety. And then the parasympathetic system is the thing that kind of slows you down and brings everything back into perspective. And a lot of times it's called the rest and digest function. So through your meditation, your self-talk, your imagery, you'll be able to have the parasympathetic parasympathetic I'll get it right one of the times you're doing that perfectly to come in and just kind of take over and that's I think the biggest part of that mental training that um, we need to to learn more about I think it's so true because I remember when I did start to really just have an adverse feeling towards competing 
um, we were doing jumping and just more and more of my horses refusing the jump and refusing the jump. And I had someone say to me, you know, you have to picture yourself going over the jump. You have to be certain you're going over it. And I remember the first time I, you know, they said it when I was up on her, I went around, came into the jump again, and she put on the brakes again. But this time I ended up on her neck. I almost went over her because I was so certain we were going over that jump. And then the next time I had even more certainty. I was like, no, like I was ready to go over it last time. You know, we can do it. We're doing it this time. And it made a massive difference. But I think it's having, and that follows in actually nicely to the next section on the support team. It's having someone there that can stand back and watch what you're doing and then come and say to you, like, what that little bit of motivation that you need or maybe just that little bit of help with, look, if you just do this, if you give this aid at this time, you know, you're maybe a little bit slow on this signal you're trying to give them or you need to just give them more time, maybe circle around again, try again. Just giving you that encouragement is so important. And the paper said that as well as using the techniques of self-talk and imagery, all the riders outlined the importance of the support team that they had. And in describing the importance of the support team and the roles they play, that also supports previous research where the nature of relationships between the athlete and the coach impact the performance of an athlete. So having a trainer that you gel really well with, having, you know, people there, if you're in racing, like there's a whole team that's involved with getting the jockey up to the point of just racing the horse. You know, there's the trainers behind it. There's the owners behind it. There's the grooms. There's, you know, people that are in the yards helping out. So it really is a wiser net that gets you to the point of that success. Yeah. And I think if you're competing, you're the one riding. I think especially in the eventing world, um, you have to be careful who you're going to listen to. Mm -hmm. And know what everyone's role is and what their level of expertise is. Because, um, you know, you want to be careful. You don't need to be hearing critical remarks right before you go in. And I think that kind of ties in with that um, time management. Because if you're at a show, you want everything to be calm and on time, you never want to feel rushed, especially if you're on a thoroughbred, because they're going to pick up when you're kind of at a discontent type um, situation, rushing, something breaks, um, you know, be prepared and try to ward off any catastrophes happen happening, like a broken bridal we'll have a second one there or Mm -hmm. you know double check your leathers before you go to the show so you can pre-plan so much um and do good time management and then you can remain calm i think that's actually key like if you're prepared it takes a weight off your shoulders if you have a plan b and even c for every eventuality you just physically relax that little bit more. Um, And I think, yes, just surrounding yourself with the right people, you know, whether you're competing or not, 
it's really important that you're surrounding yourself with people that lift each other up instead of dragging each other down. Yeah, and I think that ties in uh, nicely with the pre-performance routine, which we did an episode where successful riders start a pre-performance routine on the farm or at their home base, and then they continue that when they get to a show. Now you're at different area, different farm, different venue. However, the one commonality that you can tie in to help your horse is in the warm-up arena, do the same pre-performance routine or the warm-up. And I think that's so important to have that in your mind and don't deviate from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's true. Have, have an actual ritual before every event. And the horse will hone in on that. And you know what? It's surprising how much that calms you down because it's familiar. And you mm-hmm. forget all your uh, butterflies and anxieties and all that. And then um, I think the last thing, Kate, was the relaxation techniques, which I think they're so important because they're the ones that bring in that parasympathetic rest and digest feelings. So whether it's meditation or um, diaphragmatic breathing Uh, muscle relaxation and usually you start progressively like in a yoga class they tell you relax your feet your ankles your knees and you just do a whole body scan yeah and and you know what's great about that is you don't realize how much tension is in your body until someone says relax something like your ankles and you're like oh wow I didn't know I was holding them (laughs) so tight like that ending in yoga um the savasana, I think it is, it's just the most relaxing feeling because you physically go through each part of your body and just l- release the muscles. And you for, you know, it's so true. Like um, they'll say, relax your knees and they'll say like left and right. And I realize my right knee is as stiff as a terrier's leg, you know? <laughs> And you don't even know that. So the more you practice that and do that along with your breathing, you do feel this calmness come in. And it's really, really relaxing. And I think it's healthy to to be able to control your breathing and mm-hmm. your thoughts like that and your musculature and all that. So um, anyway, um, the first part, was the planning and preparation part of it. And then the arousal and distraction management, that was more the relaxation, the breathing, um, the imagery. So um, they did break it down nicely into two sections. And I think the one part we really have to um, work on the most is the arousal and distraction management. And that Mm -hmm. was self-talk, visualization, uh, physiological skills, intervention. And then also they included a good support team to help you when you get distracted or you get that high heart rate and you feel that anxiety. And then uh, planning and preparation was goal setting, time management, and pre-performance routine. So I also would include the um, 
some of the self-talk and the visualizing, even in planning, you know, but mm -hmm. paper didn't, but you have to kind of uh, work all this out to where it fits you and your situation. And this is an open access paper, isn't it, Nancy? It is. It is. And, and this is one of those ones that I would most highly recommend everyone to read. Like we have a lot that we recommend, but this is useful for everyone who's involved with horses. And, and even not say if you get anxiety going to the doctor, you could use a lot of these techniques to calm mm -hmm. your down, lower your blood pressure and uh, all that. Or maybe, you know, there's other conditions that just seem to send you into, you know, orbit and you need to know you have you have an anxiety issue there. And all these recommendations, I think, could be used uh, in that situation, not just sports. So, yeah. Yeah. And I will say anxiety can be an absolutely crippling thing. So, you know, we're talking about pre-sport anxiety, I suppose, in the sense of these elite athletes getting varying degrees of the jitters before doing a competition. But anxiety comes in much lesser and greater forms. Um, and you absolutely don't need to try and battle through it on your own. There are ways that techniques and tools that can help ease your anxiety so if you are someone that struggles with anxiety reach out um, and talk to someone about it because even like this paper mentions a couple of different techniques and tools they're not going to work for everyone and they might not work for you and that's perfectly normal and it doesn't mean that there aren't other techniques and tools that are going to help you with your coping so don't don't feel like oh there's no solution just because this doesn't seem to fit your mold um but yeah definitely don't feel like you have to live a life of being anxiety ridden on your own um there's people that are there to listen and to help if they can great point kate and you know thank you to everyone that reached out and wanted us to talk about the martins at l 1990 paper on anxiety and competitive sports and it was actually not a paper it was a book so that led me to find other research on anxiety and in a more updated format so um, I'll definitely put the link on the home page and um, thanks Kate for joining in I thought this was a great discussion and a good paper to review especially right before show season starts it was perfect timing. So thank you everyone for the recommendations. And as usual, if you do have any areas you want us to look into, just reach out and you can get us through the homepage. You can send us um, a voice message as well on any of your thoughts on any of the topics. And there is a little question on the homepage after each episode too. Isn't there Nancy just asking people their thoughts? Yeah, after every episode, when you go to Anchor, there's always a question about give us some feedback. So, well, thanks, Kate. Appreciate your time. And we'll see everyone next week. Thanks, Nancy. Take care. Bye-bye.